0: welcome everyone glad you're here we didn't quite finish up last week on success and since uh, success and money seem to be uh, tied pretty closely together it seems mostly um, when we think about success uh, money is kind of the scorecard that we use to measure what that looks like and uh, when when you think of success it's more of an attaining a position uh, in society or in whatever group uh, that you're in and it's it's about money obviously but it's not it's about more it's about uh, prestige and clout and having the right um, seat at the table or the right spot in the parking lot or the right title on your business card so it's those are the things that that also make up success. And when we think of success, it's it's a word that's not used in the Bible very much at all, but a word that is used that has similar meaning is blessed is blessed. And when we look at kind of the the meaning of blessed in the culture of the time, it was it was kind of a a word that meant the happiness and fulfillment that, that the gods enjoy. So that was kind of the, the idea of what blessed was. And today we use it to kind of soften um, the word success. Instead of me you saying, That's, I really like your house. That's a, a nice place. I'm successful. No, I would say I'm blessed. It doesn't come across nearly as harshly, does it? So So we... We use that word a lot of times uh, to soften uh, the success word um, because that success comes across as kind of arrogant and proud and I'm a Christian, so I don't want to come across that way, right? Um, but another distinction, I think, in su- between success, if I say I'm successful, that implies that I've done something. If I say I'm blessed, that more implies that something has been been done for me, and so so I think that's a, a big distinction in the way we would view those words. And so if I'm if I'm blessed, then I'm giving glory to God. And I'd like for us to look at Matthew 25, or excuse me, Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus kind of. Uh, gives us a picture here of who is blessed, and so when we look at the a picture of success, these are the people that God sees as successful, and it's not perhaps what we would consider successful. So uh, Matthew five, yes, sir.
1: Pleased with those who are humble.
0: What we're getting ready to read about <laughs> yes okay Matthew 5 we'll read uh, I think first 12 verses here now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you look at the list where Jesus starts out here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? It's kind of those that don't have things all figured out in life, and they're uh, people that um, are humble enough to ask for help. And when we look at our culture, that's not what success would be defined as. Uh, Success would be about being self-sufficient, right? Especially in our American culture, it's pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? That makes you successful. Uh, being self-reliant, having your life together. And then Jesus comes along and redefines his successful life as one that humbly asks God and says, I can't do this on my own, I need your help. And from the world's perspective, that's the opposite of success. So instead of the money, big titles, big houses, impressive resumes, uh, Jesus points to the downtrodden, the humble, the pure in heart, who follow God, by who follow God's rules. So when we're when we're looking at what makes success, I think in our society we're looking at the wrong gauge for that, because in the kingdom's economy, uh, success is not determined by who has the most, but by who relies on God the most. When our lives are defined by the world's definition of success, that's idolatry. And in Matthew 16, 26, it says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So I guess the question we will leave the god of success with is what's the point of the promotion the luxury car the mansion if the price is our soul so where do you fall in in the temple of success <laughs> i think there were a lot of, a lot of good things for me to think about as we as we studied that, as we turn gears now and start looking at the next, at the chapter we're actually on today, the the God of Money. The this book was written to take kind of take advantage of the economic downturn of I think it was two thousand eight, and when you look at today, it's probably not a whole lot different than it was then, and so my question would be. How many of us are feeling a little angst when we look at the economic situation of today? I mean, anybody in here retired and you look at all those savings kind of losing their value, it makes us a little anxious.
1: (laughs) Some people look at the hourly.
0: Yeah. When we think of the gods of money, they've been around for a long time. Um, I mean, now it's it's cash or credit cards or who knows what form it might take today. I'm not even familiar with Bitcoin and that kind of stuff, but it all plays the same role. Uh, before Before that, it was gold and silver. I mean, that's what standard we were on, and that's what held value for us. And before that... It might have been heads of cattle or beaver pelts or whatever could be traded, and that was the symbol of wealth. Um, and I think I want to say right up front here that if you have a, if money is your god, it it really doesn't matter if you've got a lot of money or a little bit of money. I think the pro, for money it seems like it's the same. If you're going to worship it, it's It's either way. Some of the others, it's if you've got a lot of it, then you might say, oh, that person worships money. But I've seen people that had very little that it was their God, it seemed. Um, And the reason I can say that is because when I look at, in in Scripture, in Job, the first chapter, it says, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. It sounds to me like I would say Job was a wealthy man, and to say that he was blameless and upright would indicate that money was not his idol to me it would indicate that so so I think we can have a lot of money and it not be our idol but then I can also see where people like um, well Simon the sorcerer I don't know how much money he had but he's trying to sell the gift of God for profit and so you can see how that maybe somebody with less can still be uh, enamored by money um and I don't know I mean even though money's been around a, a lot a long time I think it's probably more of a recent um development that that the worship of money has become so widespread because before there was there was money but the king had it all and it was tied up in his castle and everybody around the castle that lived there they didn't have two pennies to rub together, but they they relied on the king and his wealth uh for things that they might need and when the The world changed with the founding of of America, I guess, and uh democracy kind of took over and it kind of leveled the playing field somewhat. I mean we still have the very rich, but the rest of us can have a hope of having some money, and so therefore it seems to be more of an attraction uh, for us. Money seems to be the star of the American dream. And when people talk about the pursuit of happiness, the god of money is sitting there thinking, they're talking about the pursuit of me. And when I thought about that, I thought, I can't really disagree with that assessment. Money has become so dominant in our culture it's difficult for us to stand back far enough to get a perspective on how much we rely on money and how much it means to us. Um, I would say that regardless of what comes out of my mouth and what I say, for a lot of people, money has become, or the pursuit of wealth, I should say, has become the goal of life. I mean, how many times do we decide what we're going to do for a career based on how much money it pays? Or, or whatever we do, what, what, what's in it for me? And I say that, when I say it's, it's hard for us to step back far enough to get perspective, how many people in here really feel like you know somebody that's poor? I mean, really poor. Does that person live in the United States? What, what makes somebody poor? I mean, by our standards, their house is less than three bedrooms. They probably only have one TV. They might have to share a car. I mean, that would be kind of the definition of poor in our society, wouldn't it? But what, what would be truly poor? I'm sure Benita knows a lot of these people from her travels to Zambia. Um, their transportation is by foot. They'll walk days to get to clinic, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, access to even public transportation. I mean, the poor here, that might be what their transportation is. They have to take the bus or, or something like that. But there, that's not even available many times. So they're walking wherever they go.
1: already lying in America, somewhere around $32,000 a year. Yeah, I didn't look it up, but it probably is. And it's like, it's hard to, to imagine if you're, and I think of Igor when uh, when he's going to retire and not you know, working more. He's he's going to go on Social Security, and you worried that he you are going to have enough in Social Security to get by. And he says, you don't understand, you Americans need more than Russians do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> he,
1: got, he, he got by real well when he retired. And by our means, you know, what he was taken in was anywhere near what we would have considered. Him.
0: Right. But but would Igor have considered himself poor? No. No. I don't think so at all. So so what I mean, I'm just interested I mean, people that you know that are poor, what what would you what makes you say that they're poor? I mean what where does that come from? Homeless. Homeless, okay.
2: Don't know where they're going to get
0: food the next day. Okay. And when I, well, I mean, when I was thinking about this, I mean, when I, and they, these are some of the same things I was thinking is, I mean, here we would say that people were poor by, by what I was saying, like the their house is less than three bedroom or their, but it, and most people here have a roof over their head if they choose to. We
2: have fresh water. Have water.
0: Right. So most of the poor of the world do not have access to good water. Right. And I mean.
1: So the, the, the poor is basically those that, that lack basic needs. And those are the two lower levels of his hierarchy of needs. And that's uh, a physiological needs, which is food, water, shelter, rest, warmth, and then uh, safety needs is security and safety. And I think that if we wanted to put a definition on that, people don't have any one of those fall in. Because Maslow said, if you're missing any one of these, you you go down to that level.
0: Okay. So if if we are looking at, in in America, I mean, I would say that there are very few people that are homeless by choice. not by choice. I mean, a lot of times it's mental illness, those kind of things come back from uh, a, a bad situation. Uh, so, and it's not to say there, there's none of those people, but there's, it's not a lot. Yeah, there, there are, the government provides a lot of assistance. There's uh, religious organizations that provide a lot of assistance. So, I mean, people that want help here can generally find it. Uh, people in Africa that want help you're kind of out of luck. Uh, and when, I mean, Jack and I, we went to, to Mexico a few weeks back and and you see see poverty level there that you don't see here very often. Um, the people that we built houses for, there were seven people that lived in a gutted out RV that, I don't know, it was probably about a 25 foot RV, something like that, had seven people living in it. And and that's not an uncommon sight to see. And so and then they do have work to do and so a lot of times the one of the guys that we worked with, he was a fisherman, and so he was able to, to bring to earn a living that way. But most of their most of their living is subsistence, hand to mouth, uh that kind of thing. So getting back to the point that just because we're poor doesn't mean we don't have a problem worshiping money. And uh, we, say, we pay a lot of lip service to the idea that money is not important, but we, how we spend our time and what we pursue uh, ident- reveal our true beliefs about money. If you found a lamp that had a genie in it and you could rub it, what would one of your three wishes be? Would anybody wish for wealth? But that, that's, I mean, when you see Aladdin, I mean, what was the first thing he asked for? And it was great wealth. And, and I think most of us in our fantasy world, uh, we think that wealth is going to solve all of our problems. If we have a lot of money, uh, that's going to take care of us.
1: It's interesting to contrast that with Solomon.
0: Right. So what he asked for? Wisdom. Wisdom. Mark Twain wrote this, I thought it was interesting. Some men worship rank, some worship heroes, some worship power, some worship God, and over all these ideals they dispute and cannot unite, but they all worship money. Um, in Luke 12, we we'll are turn there if you want, uh, beginning with uh, verse 13, jesus is teaching a crowd i think it's interesting there's a crowd it says of many thousands so it's not a little group and so so jesus is telling them secrets of the kingdom that kind of stuff and then in verse 13 someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me (laughs) does that feel out of place (laughs) Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we'll go ahead and read the the parable that follows that, and we'll come back to it later in the, the lesson. And he told them this parable. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So, money is not the problem. What is the problem? The love of money. And this is addressed many times in Scripture, the love of money. Really like it a lot? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) But, I mean, that's one of the qualifications that uh, Timothy gives in his uh, section on qualifications for elders. is that they're not lovers of money. That's right. First 1 Timothy 6, six, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think it's a consequence. So what does that mean? What That the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Look
2: at our politicians.
3: Okay.
0: So so it takes can you
3: away from needing God I mean you can.
1: Yes. Not for, not for joy, but right. For all the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you separate yourself from God obviously. Yeah,
0: if if my if my pursuit is money, then where would you fall if I if you had something I wanted? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, if that's my pursuit, then you better watch out. Uh, Matthew six twenty four: 24, uh, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think we, we saw that in the, the video last week, how he... Um, Chuck Bentley how he was talking about how he was worshiping God on Sunday but when he when he read the passage it was like he could see that he was also worshiping money and and from this passage you see that that's not a possibility so Philippians 4:19 and, and this is this is a verse that I think we can turn to um, to see where where God is there to provide for us it says um, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in jesus and, and this is um, this is in the context of people uh, giving to Paul and and meeting his need and then he says that that their needs will be met according to the glory of the riches of God in the glory of Christ. Um, one exercise he talks about in the book that I thought was was very good is that, that the concept that God has given us his resources to use on this earth for a short time while we're here. And so, he said, Someday try it, get up you get up out of God's bed and you go into God's bathroom you get into God's shower uh, you go down you eat God's food you get in God's car and go to work and when you're viewing things in that light then the um, the attitude of gratefulness is there because you're, you're acknowledging that what you're using is God's and whether we play that game or not that's the that's the reality of it, and if we fool ourselves into thinking it's ours, uh, when you look at the um, the scripture that we read, how that um, about the the rich man, the parable, he his life was demanded of him, and then what happens to the stuff that he's prepared for himself? So so we know that our life is is transient here, and we're, as the scripture says, we're, to be, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, and so the things of the world shouldn't hold that, um, that allure to us uh, that being with God does. And I think where we're going to kind of get into the crux of this lesson tonight is, is how often do we look at money to do the very things for us that God wants to do for us, So what are some of those things? What's something that God wants to do for us that sometimes we look to money? So so God wants to be our security. And when I asked the question earlier about anybody having any angst over the state of the economy right now, He says in the book, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid the economy is gonna collapse? Your health will fail, there'll be a terrorist attack, you'll lose your job. And we think if we can just save enough money, all these worries will go away. If I lose my job, I can take care of myself. If I get sick and have to go in the hospital, I can take care of myself, I can pay my bills. And so we look to money as security it becomes a God because there that's where we put our hope and our dependence. God is nice, and we will continue to worship Him, but He's not really necessary because I have enough money to meet my own needs. I can take care of myself, I can handle what needs to needs to happen. Does that ever do you ever find yourself thinking those kind of thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I hope I'm not the only one that has had these thoughts.
3: I've kind of thought, like, I don't know if it's even possible when they talk about these cyber attacks. You know, so I open up my bank account online, and there's how much I got in this account, this account, this account. And, well, uh, all I know about that is what's on Screen. Now, what I have is a screen, basically. <laughs> and what if I opened it up tomorrow and it was all zeros? And what if I looked at all my retirement investments and they were all taken down to zeros? Because what, what do they mean by Russian cyber attack? Well, do they have the possibility to hack into the banking system and I wake up tomorrow and I'm zero? Like when we lived in the Czech Republic, the Czechs went to bed and got up the next morning. And they all had all the money taken out of their accounts, except for 5,000, 10 gone completely. And that happened to them like twice. And, uh, and when they found out it was gonna happen the second time, they started taking all the money out of their things. And as I started thinking to myself, what if I got up in the morning and opened up my accounts to see what's going on there, and they're all zeros, how would I feel about that? And honestly, Three or four days ago, my quarterly investment statements came in.
0: <laughs> Wasn't zero, it was getting close. <laughs> was it
3: 2000? I think for about 10 months. I just, about the whole year, I just quit working. I just quit. I, just quit. I, I would take them and file them away and close minds. I wouldn't look at it. Would, you know, I wouldn't even open, envelopes, that <laughs> it was. But open, open up. But i But put up oh my goodness. What a percentage change. Maybe one, you know, like how much do I emotionally react to that? it's how much do I put into that? My trust, my stability, my identity, my security. Do I really trust God?
2: Yep. Phil. So I
3: had a friend whose philosophy was, I don't need an emergency fund because God's going to take care of me. I don't need to save for retirement because God's going to take care of me. It. it shows a lack of faith. Right? I'm not sure that's the right attitude. That balance between being a good steward, I don't think it's wrong to have a loose Is that worshiping money? I don't think so. So, for me, the practical, if we ask anyone in here, no one's going to say, Yeah, I worship money. Maybe that's me. <laughs> what does it actually in practice look like for someone who is struggling with this? Is it what they're giving? They, I mean, I'm just struggling with this whole.
2: Especially when you look I was reading the when Jesus was talking about the poor widow who put in all she had and I'm like, I don't think I can do that. That seems like if I don't have any food that you to take to my kids, is that really what God would want? It's just that's but it sounds like Jesus said, Yes, this is a good thing. <laughs> that one I, I struggle with because I, I can open up my investments in lose Ellen would say this. We could lose a phenomenal amount and I don't think I'd be worried. Um, just kind of like that. Well, the kids aren't going to get married. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: um,
2: but I wouldn't want to give it all away. Either. So the condemnation when Jesus said to the rich young rulers, so I like, have come follow me, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I could go there. Um,
0: right. Well, I mean, I think just like we've talked in the rest of the the other gods of pleasure uh, that we talked about, and here are the gods of of uh, power that it talks about, I think it's a lot our attitude towards the things. I mean, like Benita says, if it goes away and I'm destroyed because of it, then I probably had too tight a grip on it. Um, and one of the things uh, that he talks about in the in this chapter a little bit of I hadn't planned on bringing it up, but to to loosen the power that money might, that the gods of money might have over us is is give it away. If, if you're not able to give it away, then it probably has too tight a hold on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you're saying about uh, saving, having an emergency fund or even saving for retirement so that we're not a burden on our kids or on society or whatever the case might be, I'm not saying that those are inherently wrong things to do, but I, I think that we have to be careful with how, we, how tightly we hold on to that because if, if it becomes the point where I don't, and it can be very subtle, that I don't need God because I can take care of myself, and that's what these gods really promise us is that you don't really have to have God because you can take care of yourself. And that's kind of a first world attitude, I think, because uh, a lot of the people in third world countries, Mexico for one I'm more familiar with, they don't seem to have quite as as tight a grip on stuff. Um, Some do, but yeah, Benita. Benita.
2: Christian saying, okay, you've got rent due next month, your pay comes in, you don't give that away because you've got a responsibility to pay rent. But in their culture of immediacy, of death and whatever, if they have money for rent and their relative or someone came and said, I've got to pay my rent, and they have the money, they give it to them, and then they're going, oh, when well, my rent's due, then it's like, and that's a big clash of culture when you're working with people because so yeah they don't hold it real tight because there was, there's this attitude of well I just have to ask the person who has it and that's why they look at us when we come over as they have no problem of asking a lot because to their in their culture if you have it and you're Christian you give it right. and it's it can be a real, a real thing so it, it's not necessarily that it's a good thing. Right. <laughs> so, if can sit
0: there and go through, they
2: don't hold on very tight. Yeah. Like, uh, that's just a big example that we've had right into numerous times over there of what different cultures look at as well and need. Right. And what we would look at as irresponsibility. And, you know, so it's a... Yeah. And we can judge ourselves really strongly when we're really being, trying to be a very responsible person, so we aren't depending on our (laughs) children and stuff. But in their culture, we would be greedy because that's not what you do. You're not saved. You've got all these people in the tribe and whatever if you're in the tribe and they're in need and you've got it. You're supposed to give it to them. So
0: it's and and this may be one of those instances, Phil, where I can't step back far enough to get perspective on it. So it may be my lack of faith that I'm giving you the answer that I'm giving you. I don't. I don't know the answer to it. I mean, for for us, what we see as prudent and wise, um, like Benita's saying, they see as selfish and greedy, and and what is God's view on it? And and He wants us to trust Him. And if I have if I have a million dollars in the bank for retirement, does that mean I have to trust God? Well, the answer is yes. But do I? And so that that's the, that's where I think it it becomes a A difficult question for me because where does my trust ultimately lie?
2: I said this in the past to me. I know when I'm closer to it, I'm content. If it's whether it's this small amount, I'm content. This large amount, I'm content. So if I'm discontent with what I have and my blessing, to me, that's the clue that I've put money in from earth or something as
0: God. Right. Okay, very good. Did you have something, Eddie?
3: Well, I think you were kind of speaking to Phil's thing. I was only thing, I've heard the kind of comments Phil's heard too, that I trust God, you know, I'm not going to save, I'm not going to do this. This will probably make a lot of people angry, but there's some people angry in here, but the kind of the same thing was um, about the pandemic. I don't live by fear, I live by faith. So I'm not going to worry about doing this, this, and this. I trust God. Yeah, but you look both ways when you cross the street. God says you've got to be responsible but you trust me. God told the Israelites, build the wall. Well, why don't you trust God? Said, build the wall. He said, Build the wall, but don't trust the wall, trust me. But he you still build the wall. And so I lock my door at night, but I go to bed trusting God. But I also am supposed to be wise and he created a brain that I'm supposed to use. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think uh, but if but if I put my trust in that wall and not in God, then there's my phone. But so I say, but if I trust in my contentment, and my stability is anchored fully in that. Oh, well, that's idolatry. Uh, so, uh, that comes up a lot, I
0: think. Yeah, good. And, and a lot of, it too, I mean, in our society, I mean, when, when we pray, do we generally pray for our daily bread? I mean, I, I would say it's been a while since I prayed for daily bread, because... I've got a pantry full of it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I can thank him for the bread um but the but those are the kind of the questions that we need to wrestle with, I think um i don't I can't give you an answer that's a one size fits all I think it's one of those answers that each one of us has to wrestle with it ourselves and and come to the place where we can say, Yes, God, I am worshiping you and not.' My things.
1: You know, Solomon kind of summed it up. There's a good, good pieces in Ecclesiastes that uh, Solomon, you know, he he had it all, and he went and kept seeking it all, because it was all vanity. About 11 times in there, he says, "Do good and enjoy God's blessing, for this is the gift of God." I think we lose sight of that. I think we forget that God put us on this earth. Uh, for his his enjoyment, but also for our enjoyment. And sometimes we get caught up with chasing after the wind, as Solomon says, and we forget to enter the gospel. Yeah.
0: There's somebody else that read ahead. <laughs> so what? So something else that God wants to do for us that money can do. Okay, I'm sorry, Keith. Uh,
1: contentment. I've heard the word a couple times, but being content is... Not being anxious, that's a good Bible word for things. And, and being able to give thanks for what we have, that's contentment.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, another word, Bible word for that is worry. I mean, anxiety, worry, I mean, those kind of things. If we, get, we can get built up pretty easy on that when our investments crash or whatever. I mean, we're worried now, what am I going to do? And if we can put that worry aside and trust God... Um, that 's what he wants from us, okay the second thing that that he says mentions in the book that God wants to do for us that sometimes we rely on money for is our source of satisfaction. so we have the source of security and the source of satisfaction. What does that mean like the guy the rich guy in the story he says, "I can take life easy i 've got all this grain stored up, eat, drink, and be merry so so is that the satisfaction that we look to gain from money or from God. Um, Most of us can think of times in our lives when we were younger, generally, uh, had not much money, uh, not much stuff, but we were together with our spouse or someone we loved. and, And you look back and you think, I had no money, but that was the happiest I've ever been in my life. I mean, can anybody think back to a time like that, where you and your spouse lived in a three hundred square foot apartment and you were, <laughs> you had nothing, but you were happy. And and he he talks a lot about how that the amount of money we had really is not related to how happy we are. And going back to what uh, Jeff was talking about, in Ecclesiastes chapter five is a really good chapter to read on this. But uh, chapter five, verse ten. The Scripture says, "Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Does that hold true if that if that's you If that's what you search after if money is your goal, when do you know you have enough? You never have enough, that's right. <laughs> So he ends that verse with, this too is meaningless. So, so read, read chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes as, as relates to this class. And then the last thing that he talks about that God wants to do for us that we often look to money to do is, is to be our source of significance. So we have our source of security, our source of satisfaction, and now our source of significance. And what does that mean? Where do you derive your value? Are you worth your net worth? Are we worth more than our net worth? What are we worth? Who decided what we were worth? When Christ came and died on the cross, what are you worth? Isn't that that what sets our worth? The fact that the God of the universe would come and die for us? Why would we substitute anything else for that. Much less money. In Matthew 6, this will be the last verse we read, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Let's make our treasure in God, and we can use the, the riches that he blesses us with to bless others. Thank you all for being here tonight.
3: Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the East Side Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.